Ayushi Mona and you're listening to India Booked, a podcast where we lean into the idea of India through its literature and we speak to authors who bring this to life. Over the last decade, Indian banks in general and the government-owned public sector ones in specific have gradually got themselves into a big mess. Their bad loans or loans which haven't been repaid for 90 days or more crossed 10 lakh crores as of 31st March 2018. Just to put this in perspective, this figure is approximately 7 times the value of farm loan waivers given by all state governments in India put together. This has become the bad money of the Indian financial system. Why were the corporates unable to return these loans? Was it because they had no intention of doing so? Who were the biggest defaulters of them all? Tune in to this episode of India Booked to learn more when we talk with the author of Bad Money Vivek Kaul as he answers these questions and many more peeling layer after layer of the non-performing assets problem that India faces. Today I have with me Vivek Kaul. Vivek has worked at senior positions with DNA and the Economic Times in the past. He's a commentator on the Indian economy. His writing regularly appears in the Mint, BBC, the Deccan Herald, News Laundry, etc. He co-hosts the recently launched Econ Central podcast with Amit Parma, which you should definitely give a hear. Other than this, he's appeared as an economic commentator several times he's also the author of five books his fifth book bad money which we're discussing today is also a best seller on amazon.in and his fourth book india's big government was published in january 2017 he's the author of the easy money trilogy uh, which is a series of three books on the history of money and banking so i can think of no one better than vivek to actually take us through what bad money is all about and how has the history of the indian economy and banking system brought us today to where we are welcome to the show vivek thanks ayushi thanks for having me so vivek to start with uh, for any noob who's listening to this what are nps and why do they constitute what we call bad money and how do they affect the economy what does a bank do basically bank uh, any bank essentially uh, at its very basic level takes money from you and i uh, as a deposit pays us a certain rate of interest on it and then it takes that money and lends it out at a higher rate of interest now uh, obviously the idea is that uh, you know when a bank gives out a loan it is uh, you know done its research or what economists like to call due diligence uh to ensure that 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 loan will be repaid uh why is the repayment of the loan re- important the repayment of the loan is important because if loans are not repaid how will deposits be repaid right and if deposits are not repaid uh then uh, why will people deposit money in banks and uh, if people don't deposit money in banks uh, you know uh, there is a danger that the entire uh, economic system will not uh, work as well as it used to so to give you an example you know back uh, around 30 years back uh, you know when uh, anyone wanted to buy a home uh, something like a home loan was not very easily available and if it was available it 
uh, you know, the rate of interest was very, very high, 16, 17%, you know, something that is unheard of uh, today. Now, the reason why home loans are, sim are so easily available now is because our banking system, our financial system works well. And the reason it works well is because people are okay with the idea of, you know, depositing money in banks and banks are then okay with the idea of lending it as home loans and they do the research to ensure that those home loans are repaid and in the process, the deposits are repaid. Now, the moment uh, uh, loans start to be defaulted on and if a loan has been defaulted on uh, for a period of 90 days or more, it is referred to as a bad loan. Now, uh, so why this is uh, a bad loan? Now, what is bad money? The title of my book. Now, you know, the thing is that uh, the book titles basically need to sound a certain way. I mean, it's like Hindi cinema, which needs to have happy endings. So book titles need to sound sound in a certain way. And uh, I couldn't have put bad loans in the title of a book because then nobody really would have bought it. So what I did was I sort of created a term which was very close to bad loans and I called it bad money. So bad money essentially, you know, as I define it in my book, is the total amount of bad loans across banks uh, which are there in the financial system. Now, uh, what what do these bad loans do? You know, when 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 people and companies do not repay loans, uh, banks have a problem in repaying deposits, right? So now the only reason uh, banks have sort of been able to continue repaying deposits in India is because many of them continue to be owned by the government and and the government keeps putting fresh money, fresh uh, capital into these banks and that has sort of ensured that these deposits continue to be uh, repaid. Also, uh, you know, when loans are defaulted on, what that does is it sort of raises, uh, you know, interest, lending interest rates across uh, the economy because when loans are defaulted on, the risk goes up. And when the risk goes up, you know, banks, in order to sort of protect uh, their return from the business that they are in, essentially uh, hike lending rates. So this is how, you know, this is the long and the short of it, if I were to sort of put it in very, very simple English. So how did we get here? <laughs> How we got here is very interesting. So, uh, you know, a lot of it was, uh, some of it was crony capitalism, wherein uh, because of, uh, you know, the links between uh, politicians, bureaucrats and bankers, uh, many companies ended up, uh, you know, getting loans which, or at least getting loan amounts which they shouldn't have. Uh, but that's one part of it. And, 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 and I say that because, you know, it's very difficult to sort of uh, establish uh, crony capitalism very, very clearly. Because if, if a banker is doing a corporate uh, a favor, he can do it on his own or he can do it because there is political pressure on him. While it's easy to talk about these things, you know, how do you establish them beyond doubt uh, in a book so that you don't get sued? So that's one part. The other, the interesting part is that, you know, between 2004 and 2011, the Indian economy uh, grew at a very, very fast pace. I mean, almost every year we grew at more than 8%, except perhaps 2009. And uh, because of this, what happened was that, uh, uh, you know, the bankers were sort of in a very, very, uh, you know, gung-ho mood. And they ended up believing that uh, we will, uh, nothing can go wrong for India. Corporates were in a very gung-ho mood. And uh, so was the government. So a lot of lending that happened at that point of time 
was extremely optimistic in nature and you had bankers chasing the corporates and and all this lending shouldn't have happened uh, the second thing that happened was when the financial crisis of 2008 started uh, in 2009 you know the entire world sort of entered into a recession and 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 a slowdown the indian economy meanwhile uh, did not uh, did not enter into a very prolonged slowdown primarily because the government decided to start spending a lot of money and they also sort of uh cajoled uh, the uh, the public sector banks to uh, sort of uh, you know lend more and more money so this extra lending continued till 2011 and in the process many corporates who shouldn't have got loans ended up getting loans and then the uh, you know and then what happened was that uh, all the projects a lot of projects that they had planned uh, did not uh, take off i mean there were infrastructure projects power projects Uh, and so on and these projects did not uh, did not take off uh, primarily because you know in the in 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 the indian bureaucracy there is a lot of red tapeism i mean things really don't move fast so there was a problem of uh, uh, many corporates having taken taken on loans and uh, at the same time uh, the projects they had you know taken on loans for were not throwing up any money so how do you you know repay a loan when a project is not throwing up any money so because of you know all these factors you know everything sort of came together and we ended up in a position where uh, the the bad loans of the indian system uh, essentially peaked uh, on march 2 31st 2018 at around uh, rupees 10.36 lakh crore so the amount is larger than the total uh, amount of farm loan waivers in the country across right. all states right 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 which is true which is true so but see that's a different so farm loan waivers essentially you know what happens is and it's important to explain this uh, what happens is that a state government typically even the union government uh, has done it in the past essentially says that we are waiving off uh, farm loans of a certain size now in this case the banks do not face any losses because the government ultimately compensates the banks whereas when a corporate default happens uh, you know it's a default nobody is really compensating the bank as such so i have a question why was this and and you've spoken about that there were green shoots of um uh, the whole npa issue being identified early on but it's not i think till raghuram rajan sort of comes on and orders this whole asset quality review across psb does this problem really come to light So for for say somebody who's listening this at what point is there this realization that oh shit we've got into a mess and the NPS are a structural problem now? Okay, so I think uh, the realization was probably there. I mean, well, you know, how soon they realized is something only uh, you know the central bankers and the corporates can say for sure. Uh, but I mean, uh, I, I you know I think what was happening was uh, that if if you Uh, you know, if if you look at uh, what the RBI was doing between the Reserve Bank of India was doing between 2011 and 2015, you will find that they use this term called regulatory forbearance. Now, what exactly was regulatory forbearance? It was basically, you know, the in a very simple English, it was essentially the RBI looking the other way. Okay. Now, what they did was they essentially allowed banks to restructure a lot of these bad loans. Now, what is restructuring? uh what the banks did was in some cases the interest rates on these loans were uh, lowered in some cases uh, they sort of postponed uh, 
the repayment of the loan. In some other cases, uh, you know, fresh loans were given so that uh, the earlier loans could be repaid. So all these tricks were basically used to uh, ensure that a lot of loans which were bad loans were not recognized as bad loans. Now, why was this done? This was done primarily because, you know, the Indian, uh, the regulatory system that prevailed up until then was not very helpful in banks uh, recovering their bad loans by selling the collateral against which they had taken on these loans. Okay, So the hope was that, uh, you know, over a period of time, uh, the banks will take in more and more deposits and give on, and give out more and more loans until they will reach a situation where the total bad loans will be a very <clears throat> small part of the overall loans that the banks had given. Now, this is something how things had played out between 1992 and 2005. In 1992, the uh, total bad loans rate of public sector banks was at 25%, so which basically means that one-fourth of their loans had gone bad. Uh, so instead of uh, you know uh, recovering these loans, uh, you know the RBI continued to look the other way. And by 2005, the banking system was very big, and these bad loans formed a very insignificant part of the overall bad loans. So the hope was that something like this could be you know applied over again, over and over again. But that did not happen, and you know the loans sort of did not uh, continue to grow at the same pace post 2013. And then the RBI had to uh, start uh, looking into the entire issue. And I think in mid-June, uh, mid-2015, Raghuram Rajan uh, 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 essentially ordered what was called an asset quality review. And, he, you know, basically RBI inspectors looked at uh, the books of banks and uh, figured out that there are many bad loans which the banks haven't recognized as bad loans by using various uh, tricks. And... Uh, so I think the realization was there, but when they did this asset quality review, and uh, and Dr. Rajan is on record saying this, uh, you know, he was very surprised at the amount of bad loans that uh, came out. I mean, he was not, uh, you know, he probably had a had had a number in his head, and that number was uh, much lower than the actual number that came out. You know, I think one of the um, uh, most interesting facets of this is is. The whole corporate piece here, right? Uh, some of these projects, yes, they did not take a flight. But this timeline also coincides with a lot of things that people who are, say, uh, ignorant uh, or choose to ignore um, financial news also sit up and start taking notices of things like a Vijay Malia, a Nirav Modi, a PMC bank, you know? Right. And, and these are offshoots of, you know, the same structural problem. Uh, and, and it's also the tip of the iceberg. So how do these little incidents make way uh, to more public news? And, and how do they sort of tell the story of what is going wrong, but also sort of hide a lot of the the dirt still under the carpet, which, which is not spoken about? Right, right. So that's a very, very nice question. Uh, so uh, see, basically what happens is, you know, there are uh, human beings and there is statistics, right? Now, if you sort of put out uh, statistics, uh, you know, people are really not impressed. So, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess you would be too young to remember the old Delhi police ad. So, during the days of, heydays of Doordarshan in the early, uh, in the 80s and the early 90s, there used to be this Delhi police ad, wherein uh, all it did was it showed two coconuts on, on, on the screen. 
and uh, you know you had a hammer coming down on on the first coconut and obviously when when that big hammer hit the first coconut the coconut broke okay whereas uh, on the second coconut there was a helmet which was put on and when when the big hammer uh, sort of hit the helmet nothing happened i mean the coconut did not break so what was the idea there the idea was to essentially you know the, the coconut essentially symbolized the human head and the idea was to tell people that making you know wearing a helmet makes a lot of difference now so this was one way of doing it you know the other way could have been to show people that okay you know in uh, motorcycle accidents every year some 20000 people die all across whatever i mean you put out some data now uh, that data would have sort of gone unnoticed but the moment you sort of put a sort of uh, you know a, a story a face to the entire idea people start to listen another great example of this was uh, you know again uh, i mean i'm i'm sorry i'm giving all this uh, old references It, these are actually great analogies <laughs> i think you have nothing to be sorry for so so uh, i mean uh, so there was another uh, you know an ad again you know a, a sort of an anti i mean an anti smoking ad with uh, with gary lawyer who, who who was one of the few singers in india who sang in english uh, so he he sang this song called with a cigarette in my hand it you know i felt like a man so it was an anti smoking campaign and uh, the ad really drove home the point of uh, you know how uh, if you smoke you can end up in a very terrible position now again you know instead data could have been used and easily used and you know people could have uh, you know uh, the the campaign could have showed that so many people die because of smoking and so many people get these diseases and blah 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 but that would not have been effective so the point here is that you know the moment you put a human face or a story to to a to a situation and not use and not just data if you put a human face people tend to listen now uh, the 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 thing here is is that uh, so take a guy like nirav modi right so nirav modi's fraud was uh, discovered i think early january 2018 and at that uh, and his fraud uh, amounted to around 12645.97 crore i mean to give you the exact number uh, Uh, while on its own it sounds like a huge number but you know you need to take into account the fact that by then more than 8 lakh crore of bad loans had already accumulated with public sector banks so it was a very small uh, you know part of the entire story but given the fact that nirav modi being nirav modi you know was you know so here was this diamond trader who had homes all around the world and who sort of uh, hobnobbed had 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 great taste in buying paintings had cars uh, you know and uh, and was friends with priyanka chopra <laughs> so, uh, so so you know so this story caught the imagination of people which a number like 8 lakh whatever crore could not possibly have and you know it was thanks to nirav modi that the general janta sort of started to realize that there is a problem with public sector banks and uh, so that was the good uh, part of it now the bad part of it obviously was that you know the problem was always there and 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 it was uh, if not the general media but the business media had been uh, writing about it for at least you know if, you know from 2012 2013 onwards very very regularly so but that is how you know that's what it does you know when uh, the moment you put a face to an, an, an or a story to an entire issue it just uh, you know it people start uh, 
you know people start realizing that something like this is happening otherwise they they tend to ignore the entire thing so a story always works much better a human face always works much much better than data so and then there's you know these institutional phases right so human stories are say people having to stand in serpentine queues outside pmc bank to withdraw their own money right and despite right. you know there being constant awareness etc as people right who or or retail investors or re, lay people if i can say, say that um there's a lot of thought on where your money is safe versus where your money is not safe like i grew up listening to you should always keep like your money in like sbi for instance and then banks some banks being declared systemically important and then you keep hearing about bailouts in the west but your book also talks about this very interesting transition between a bail in and a bail out so how do all of these things come together and uh, the government actually keeps persistently rescuing psbs because people's money uh, is invested but then how much until what point will the government keep paying and how much has it sort of already cupped up in trying to rescue uh, you know banks over a period of time and then there's this whole nexus of nbfcs also right which which is as big a problem as you know the more formalized banking system and sector and then there are cooperative banks so between all of these institutions and and perhaps the face of people uh, makes the story very relatable but putting institutions and and then hearing or reading a, a headline on say a yes bank or a pmc bank also gets people to sit up and notice i think i've asked you two or three questions all in one and i've just bundled it together so i'm just going to pause and and um, you know okay so the pmc uh, you know let me start with the uh, punjab and maharashtra uh cooperative bank though i mean i don't know how many of you know that even though the bank was called or rather is called punjab and maharashtra cooperative bank it did not it does not have a single branch in punjab okay so the bank is largely a maharashtra based uh, bank and at least in mumbai uh, it's the sikh community uh, which primarily uh, you know it is the prime customer for the bank and uh, so what you know the interesting thing is there are there are very you know few interesting issues that come out of pmc uh the first thing is that i think it was india's first uh, uh, banking crisis uh, on the social media okay and uh, you know within minutes of uh, or rather within a, a few hours of the entire thing unraveling and 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 rbi putting pmc under a moratorium there were these forwards going around which said that the rbi has plans of putting nine public sector banks under a moratorium okay and there were absolutely no such plans but the forwards were so you know i mean whatsapp was buzzing at such a huge rate that the rbi had to essentially issue a press release saying that you know there are no no such plans and if you uh, sort of read uh, if you read the forward you would find it very funny that it also included names of banks public sector banks which had already been merged into bigger public sector banks so they no longer existed but the fact that it was available you know it was sort of going around on whatsapp ended up uh, you know people ended up believing in it i mean that is the uh, that's how strong whatsapp is in our uh, belief system and, and in our value system these days where anything that gets delivered on that app we tend to believe it 
without even you know trying to sort of cross check it even once so so pmc was india's first social media banking crisis uh, the second thing that happened was uh, you know within a few days a lot of these videos started to go around where you had all these pmc depositors who had deposited all their money in that one bank and could not access it anymore and that i think you know those videos were very very i mean i mean they were very uh, i mean they were very sad in that sense that uh, you know people got into trouble despite having all the money and 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 some of the stories like uh, i don't know this woman who couldn't get uh, who was having trouble uh, getting her uh, daughter married because all the money was in the bank then there was this guy who required uh, a pacemaker and there's someone who required oxygen cylinders and some and in fact believe me these stories continue till date i mean uh, if you if you read uh, local mumbai newspapers tabloids like mumbai mirror and, and and the midday very carefully you will find that some you know some of these stories continue to uh, make it uh, to the media now you know the lesson there was and i don't know how many people took that lesson was that you know, you should not and it's the oldest lesson in investment uh, don't put all your eggs in one basket uh, and uh, so basically don't have all your money in one bank account have your money spread across two to three or if not two to three three to four bank accounts so that even if one of them is put under a moratorium uh, you have uh, continued access to money uh, with other banks i think this is a mistake i see people making over and over again you know just because some bank offers them uh, 50 basis point you know 0.5% or 1% more interest they will move all their money to that bank i mean i can understand that you know fixed deposit rates are low right now and you may want uh you know uh, to earn a higher income out of uh, fds but then imagine the kind of risk that you are taking i mean you know return as i keep saying uh, we live in an era where uh, return uh, of capital is more important than return on capital so this was another uh, angle that came out of uh, the uh, pmc thing now the nbfc angle is uh, is 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 also interesting because what has happened is in in the last few years uh, the nbfc lending has really picked up and this happened post a demonetization when banks suddenly uh, saw a huge inflow of deposits and they didn't know what to do with it so but then they had to continue you know, they had to pay a rate of interest on it so so the lending bank lending to nbfc's uh, increased big time and then you know the nbfc lending to uh, you know everyone else increased big time and a lot of this lending obviously uh, was carried out without uh, proper due diligence and you no know, in we, we are now seeing the uh, results of that so what does this mean you know um, for us i i know this is a very funny saying not funny but really like a popular saying now that if you owe the bank like 100 pounds it's your problem if the uh, if you owe the bank a million pounds is the bank's problem and i think that this one very funny twist on it saying that if you owe the bank a billion pounds it's everyone's problem so right. our nbas all of our problems uh, till now is this going to get worse um and oh. and is anything even being done to address or change tax i know your book uh, uh, delves into this very interesting piece of the FRDI bill which then becomes the FSDR bill so i'm just going to pause and and let you uh, share that as well so uh, okay so the FRDI thing is uh, you know essentially 
the the plan there is that uh, the uh, the deposits of the bank okay will basically be used to uh, recapitalize the bank now what that means is when uh, a bank gives out a lot of bad loans uh, gives out loans which turn out to be bad then the 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 capital of the bank you know the, the money that is used to sort of run the bank uh, uh, sort of uh, comes down now uh, the 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 in case of public sector banks that means that the government has to put more money into it right now the government currently is 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 short of money and uh, so one way it sort of wants to get around it is by using uh, you know dip, uh, deposits uh, to sort of capitalize uh, uh, the bank now the danger obviously there is that uh, people who have uh, uh, deposits beyond a certain um, amount in the bank so only up uh, so essentially uh, deposits up to the level they are insured will be spared and beyond that uh, the money will be used to recapitalize yeah, which is and, only a lack uh, for us right uh, I mean, she, the finance minister had said that she's increased it to five lakhs, but I'm really not sure whether that has happened or not. So anyway, so whatever. So which is why I'm saying that up until the insurance level, and beyond that, uh, you know, all or some portion of the money will be used to recapitalize the bank. Now, obviously, this is just a a plan, and it's not really been implemented. And the last time they tried to sort of get the bill in, there was a lot of uh, uh, hangama on WhatsApp, and they had to withdraw the bill. So I'm really not sure whether uh, you know such a bill, uh, you know whether they'll be able to sort of pass uh, such a bill. So, so this has been a very illuminating conversation and so insightful. I want to ask you some non-related questions now. Which is your favorite book um, on finance, economy, or money apart from your own? No, no, my books are not my favorite <laughs> books. Uh, I mean, okay, <laughs> which are your favorite books in finance, economics, and money in general? Okay, so when it comes to economics, uh, there are two books that I really like. One is uh, called Economics in One Lesson by a American uh, journalist slash economist called Henry Hazlitt. Uh, I think he first wrote it in 1946, and uh, he keep he kept uh, revising it till he died in I think he died in 1993. And the book is still available and uh, and it's legally available freely on the internet. I mean, you don't have to buy it. You can just search for it and download so it. So now I know what I'm doing uh, after this podcast tomorrow on Sunday. So, uh, yes, yeah, so this is, uh, it's one of the, it's one book that sort of uh, really, uh, you know, got me thinking about economics and, and helped me sort of uh, figure out a lot of things in my head. The other book that I uh, quite like uh, when it comes to economics is called How to Speak Money. And it's been written by a British novelist called John Lancaster. So the story, the background uh, for this book is very interesting. John Lancaster was looking to write a book on the financial crisis of 2008, a novel. When he did his research, he realized that, you know, forget the novel. the, The story of the financial crisis is much more interesting than the novel. So he wrote a book on 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 the financial crisis, which was called uh, IOU in uh, in 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 the US, and it was called Whoops in uh, Great Britain. Uh, so that was a great book. And then he wrote this book called uh, How to Speak Money, which essentially uh, it's it's a very thin book, and it's it's more of a dictionary on terms used in economics and finance. And for anyone who's sort of looking for a 
uh, a shortcut to uh, you know understand all these terms everything from gdp to basis points to uh, trade deficit to what not which get you know terms which get bandied around by economists without them uh, without they making any uh, effort to explain them i mean this is the book to start it start with and obviously i mean if you want to build on things then you know there are uh, uh, much better books uh, in the indian context uh, there is uh, one of the books that i really love is uh, gucharan das's india unbound i don't know how to categorize this book but it's essentially uh, the i would i would say it's the social economic and political history of in of the first 50 years of after india's independence uh, it's a terrific terrific book and uh, you know that was the book when i first read it which uh, essentially inspired me to sort of uh, become a writer so i would uh, say yeah i mean I that's very interesting i think the difficulty of being good by gurucharan das is is one book i think that um, really inspired me uh, in from a general uh, i mean readers perspective but i think these were great recommendations thank you so much uh, vivek for doing this and taking our time my pleasure avishi thanks for having me thank you everyone for listening in as well vivek's book is available in independent bookstores as well as amazon.in where it's a best seller please get your copy do read it it's an absolutely fascinating and approachable book on something that we all should be talking about a little more thank you have a great weekend do not forget to tune into us on spotify google podcasts apple podcasts gana and hd smartcast